Welcome to Uncovered. It's uh, Wednesday's show, but uh, in in true transparency, I'm doing Trump hands here. Not what happened just then. Uh, we're actually recording this on Tuesday, uh, just so you know. So uh, you know, fingers crossed, something might have happened to Donald Trump between yesterday and today. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Um, Ron, it's been a, a crazy week because Donald Trump, you know, he's been around the courtroom, obviously. He's been sitting in on the on the case. Uh, this is Letitia James's case, uh, the fraud case. But this was the first time that he took the stand. And so it's very much all eyes on Trump. I noticed that the very, I think it was that evening, he, on Truth Social, posted an uh, image of the of the judge judging Goran saying that you know I don't want to hear from Trump, which was actually a misquote. The full quote was, you know, I, I want to hear him answer questions, not just you know ramble. So the propaganda machine is in you know full swing. Um, what was your takeaway, Ron Filipkowski, from the uh, from the trial and, and and Trump's day in court? Well, the takeaway is we really need to have these things televised. We really yeah. do because. You know, the judicial system has never really encountered this kind of a problem where, you know, the the lawyers and the litigants and the defendant, they leave the courtroom every day, every break, and they just completely lie about what just happened. And millions of people believe those lies because we can't show them the truth. We can't put post clips. We can't show it on TV. Uh, so they just have to take Donald Trump and Alina Habaz word for it which is, and, and you see what happens, you know, he, that, that particular exchange right there where, where, what Trump posted, where that was the one moment I would say where the judge just briefly lost his cool. Yeah. And he sort of, it was early on in Trump's testimony. And I was following six different reporters who are live tweeting simultaneously and I'm writing at the same time. So I was following it in real time. And uh, yeah, what, what the judge said was, Look, I'm not I'm not here to listen to you give speeches. I'm not you know, Trump was complaining about Letitia James. He was talking about his time as president, foreign policy, how the country's going to hell. He was talking about Joe Biden. You know, he'd be asked a question about an appraisal of a property. And two seconds later, he's talking about Joe Biden. And so the judge is saying, I'm not here to listen to you give speeches. I'm here to listen to you answer questions. So, of course, what the Trump and his legal team did is they came out and said, the judge said he's not he's not going to listen to Trump. <laughs> I, I think it's really important that we point out to people because, you know, the reason we do this show is to uncover the MAGA propaganda that is very much being, uh, you know, delivered in that in that ecosystem, that right wing ecosystem and to expose it and to make the point that, you know, most of it, if not all of it, is untrue. But most of the uh, MAGA Republicans, certainly Republicans who watch Fox and Newsmax and OAN and all of these networks, they are getting a completely different version of this case than the rest of us who live in reality. So from their perspective, this is, you know, the, the deep state that is trying to stop Trump from getting elected and they're coming up with anything they can to, to stop him from, you know, they're calling it election interference. And there's, there's no respect for the law, for the judiciary, for the fact that he's already been found liable for fraud. I mean, you know, we're not allowed to say found guilty because it's a, a civil trial, but he's found guilty. I mean, it's a bit like the rape case with Eugene Carroll. You, wouldn't, you weren't allowed to say he's guilty of rape, but he was found liable of rape. 
semantics. But, you know, all of that is helpful to the Trump movement, of course, because they're talking as if there hasn't been a, a decision made yet. And it's just explain to me and to people watching how different the experience of these trials are for MAGA Republicans and Republican voters watching the, the right-wing coverage of the case. Yeah, well, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, um, Alina Habat, uh, to this morning, just this morning, was on Fox uh, with Larry Kudlow, who's a, you know, a Trump henchman, a Trump sycophant. Yeah. And um, so he's obviously, he's, he's going even further than, than she is, n- never mind pushing back. But the whole interview was about her saying that the state is about to rest their case. Ivanka Trump is testifying on Wednesday, and then they're going to rest their case shortly thereafter. Then it's going to be time. Then they're going to make a motion for mistrial. Yeah. So what they're going to say, what, what she said today is the motion for mistrial is going to be based on the fact that the judge would not allow Trump to answer questions when he testified. That's what she said in this interview, that the judge wasn't allowing him to finish any of his answers. Now, what any normal interviewer would have done in that situation, first of all, that's a complete lie. I mean, in fact, over and over again, the judge kept saying to the prosecutors, because the prosecutors were not objecting, when Trump would start rambling and going off on all these tangents and attacking people, the prosecutor just stood there. And the judge many times said to him, you know, if you want to object to any of this, I will stop him from doing from making these speeches. And the prosecutor is like, no, no, we're good. We're good. Just let him talk. They were more than happy to let him talk as long as he wanted because they figured we'll give him enough rope to hang himself. Yeah, he'll, he'll perjure himself. So so number one, the idea that he wasn't allowed to answer questions, the exact opposite is true. He was allowed to answer much more than he normally would be allowed under the rules. That's number one. And number two, the way trials work is if you are an attorney and the other side is 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 not is answer is questioning your client about specific things and you're you could tell that your client wants to say more. What do you do? You get up and you ask him questions. Yeah. You have your chance and you say, Mr. Trump, the prosecutor wouldn't let you answer the question about Mar-a-Lago. What did you want to say that you weren't allowed to say and let him go? But you know what? Alina Habat chose not to do that. She did not ask one question of Trump. So she doesn't ask a single question. The the judge, the prosecutors let Trump ramble as much as he wants. And then she goes on Fox and says, the judge isn't fair. He didn't let Donald Trump answer any questions. Trump also had some pre-prepared notes that he wanted to read from, and he yeah. wasn't allowed to, to, do, to do that either, because, of course, that's not protocol. It's almost as if they kind of make up their own rules and then complain that the rules have been broken when they're not court rules in the first place. It's this alternative reality because, you know, there was a New York Times poll out the other day, which we must talk about, that puts Donald Trump ahead of Joe Biden in, what, five swing states. This is this is obviously very worrying. It's a bit of a wake up call, isn't it? Because, you know, the reality for those of us who live in it (laughs) is that Trump is up for multiple crimes. Fraud is just one of them. Overturning the election, stealing classified documents and everything else. And yet none of that really seems to affect him. If anything, it is making him more popular. 
I mean, the poll wasn't a wake-up call to me because this is what I've been talking about for a long time, yeah. about how worried I have been because of what I hear from people all the time, privately, things that people won't say publicly. I mean, I'm talking about independent voters, moderate voters who don't like Trump. You know, And, and what that poll showed is that Donald Trump is deeply unpopular. His unfavorables are off the charts. He's like, 29% favorable, 60% unfavorable. And when you put him up with a generic Democrat, any Democrat, uh, he gets killed. I mean, he loses by like 12 points in that in that same poll. Yeah. But when you put him up against Joe Biden, you know, he's he's beating Joe Biden. And I, and I believe that those numbers are real in, in many states. So I don't I don't dismiss this poll at all. They they reflect what I think because I can just tell you that. There is a huge percentage. There is a big chunk of independent voters who simply think Joe Biden is too old. And I'm and again, I'm not talking about chronological age necessarily. They look at him. They hear him. They do not think he is up to doing this in 2028 at the age of 86 when it will be his final year. And so. That's the reality. Now, maybe he can shore that up. Maybe things can go better. But the idea that, you know, we don't have any issues here with Biden as the nominee, that's just simply not true. And as we've spoken about before on this show, a lot of the fear is that Kamala Harris is next in line. That's right. And, and people don't want her. They, they, they uh, you know, she doesn't poll well and she is unpopular with, with, a, with a large group. I happen to think she's great. But I, I am aware that I'm in a minority. I mean, her her ratings are basically the same as Joe's. Yeah. And I don't again, I don't think that a lot of this is their fault. I, I, I don't think believe that even as concerned as I am, I said going into 2020, when people would say to me, well, you think Joe Biden's going to run for a second term? This was back in 2020. I said, absolutely not. He's not going to run for a second term yeah. because he, he uh, number one, I think he's he is going to be too old. And number two, I did. I believe that the country was in a complete mess. He was inheriting a covid nightmare um, and an, an inflation nightmare and a supply chain nightmare and nightmares everywhere. And he was going to have to clean up that mess and he was going to get blamed for a lot of the pain that we had to go through as a country to dig ourselves out of that mess. Not to mention January 6th, the aftermath of that, Trump and the Republicans running around saying it was an illegitimate president, the election was stolen. For all of those reasons, I believe Joe Biden was the perfect person to just go in and clean up all the mess, take the heat, take the hit, and then ride off in the sunset and let someone else start clean and fresh. He was the right guy at the right time. But did the Democrats get lazy? in terms of thinking about succession did you know should more planning have been done early on to think about how this might play out because you know they're not short of strategy i mean i find it very surprising that that because you know the world is in a terrible mess right now you know and obviously the war in the middle east is is not going to look good for joe biden even though and i was doing some analysis on this earlier that Donald Trump is responsible for destabilizing all the theaters of war that he inherited, right? So when Trump's like, there's no war, no war when I was president, he's doing that, obviously, because it makes it look like while Joe Biden is president, there is conflict. 
But it's it's Trump's behavior. It's what Trump did, his policies, even moving the, the, the Israeli embassy to Jerusalem. I mean, all of these things have a knock-on effect to destabilize the the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. And th- and that's why I, I believe that that Joe Biden inherited a, a complete mess. And 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 I get it. The American people are going to blame him for it. Now, the economy is 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 starting to cook. It's starting to hum and do very well. And ultimately, that's typically how presidential elections are decided. Right. Our you know, bottom line is on the economy. When these low information voters who are not paying much attention right now uh, tune in. Now, I will say that the elections today, we're recording this on Tuesday, are going to be a harbinger, I think, very much so. The, the race I'm really looking at is the Kentucky governor race, more so than the other ones. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is this is a very close race. And Cameron, the Republican who's running, has completely wrapped himself into around with Donald Trump. You know, he's running as a MAGA Republican. He talks about Trump. He he touts Trump all of the time. And it's a state that Trump won by 27 points. And Andy Bashir, who is the Democratic governor, has not talked about Joe Biden at all. He doesn't mention the name Joe Biden. Joe Biden's never set foot in the state to campaign for him. So he's running on, you know, a, as a good government, moderate, you know, Republican. But he's also pretty strong in those rural white areas that where Democrats do not do well. And Joe Biden does not do well. But he does do well, Andy Bashir. So in those in, with those voters. So I'm very, very to me, that's a very much a barometer, because I think if Daniel Cameron can pull this off by basically just running as Donald Trump in Kentucky, um, that that's even more concerning. But if Bashir can can defeat him and then we can have some good results in these other places, um, that'll make me feel a lot better. Much of the race, though, is going to come down to women, women's health care and abortion rights. Yeah. Yep. And so, you know, I'm hoping that people have seen what it's like now to access, you know, post-row to, to access abortion in, in some of these states where it's been thrown back to the states and these extremist decisions have been made and that they might it might just kind of trigger a sense that maybe that's not right. Yeah, we, I mean, we saw that issue really bailed out Democrats in the midterms, I think. I think the midterms would, had Roe not been overturned, the midterms would have gone much yeah. worse for Democrats. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I think that that really saved saved Democrats in, in 2022. The question is, is that going to still carry over? Is that is that still present in people's minds? Well, we're really going to see that because that's like one of the main issues in Virginia. That's That's an issue in Ohio. And certainly an issue in the Kentucky governor race as well. So um, less so there, but in other places. So, yes, that's definitely going to be a bellwether, especially if Virginia and Ohio. I mean, if those two states break Democrat on the abortion issue, I think Republicans have to be very worried about next year. Interesting. Let's go back to uh, Trump on on trial, because there was a couple of things that came off the back of it that I found very amusing after his rambling court appearance in in the fraud trial on Monday. There was one thing that really kind of piqued Fox News, the the former president's appearance in a courtroom sketch. It was Kayleigh McEnany who said it was a travesty. She was obviously the uh, press secretary during the, uh, you know, the last period of his uh, presidency. And this photograph, or this, this drawing, I should say, this court, this court artist, I mean, it wasn't a great likeness, but, you know, how, I mean, I would just, like, draw a blob and put, like, a bird's nest on it. 
And and this was her greatest complaint, you know, off the back of this was like there was a good 10 minutes was wasted on Fox with her complaining about the court sketch. Look, these are things that Republicans are obsessed with. You know, we've talked about that. Yeah. You know, we got we got we're talking about Ron DeSantis' heels in a little bit. And yeah. largely the reason why we're talking about that is because Republicans care about this stuff. Right. You know, it matters. And uh, yeah, I mean, Don Jr. was complaining about his sketch made him look like Kermit the Frog. He complained. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, he you said, know, I should now... have put on makeup. Do you remember that line yeah. a few days yeah. ago? Yeah. So I think that's what's happening is these courtroom sketch artists are having a little bit of fun with these guys, knowing how sensitive they are about this stuff. And they're they're kind of like making these drawings look like them look even worse, you know, than they than they are. And uh, I think they're just having fun with them. But instead of just laughing about it, you know, Team Trump has to, you know, go into full outrage mode. Right. It is interesting what you say about, you know, Republicans caring so much about image. Oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's not something I've really ever thought about before, but I, I suppose it's huge, right? And, and physical appearance. Yeah. But what's, Stature, the, what's the culture behind that dress? Uh, well, it's just that's something very important. I mean, look, when Republicans attack liberals on social media, uh, women, men, whatever, that's always the first thing they go to. I mean, you know, they always attack your physical appearance and, you know, height, weight, uh, you know, whatever it is, your hair, hair lack of hair, yeah. you know, your dress, uh, that's that's their go to every time. And, that, and that's one of the th- reasons why I like to do it back to them just to just because I know how much it annoys them and bothers them when you go at them that way. And Democrats don't usually do that. In fact, many Democrats are uncomfortable when I do it to, yeah. to them when I'm, you know, making fun of somebody's dress or whatever. The only reason why I'm doing it is because I know how much it triggers MAGA Republicans, and I'm really trying to trigger them. Um, but uh, yeah, because it's just something that's very, very important is physical appearance. Yeah, and and turnout. And I guess that, that because it gives the impression, yeah. it's like the swan, isn't it? That everything's perfect above the water, but below the water, it's a different story. And we're actually going to talk about Mike Johnson later, and maybe he's a perfect example of this. Um, I just want to play that clip of uh, Alina Hubber um, again. The, his lawyers are all great looking, but the substance is sometimes missing. This is her there outrage is. after the after the case. You have a right to hire a lawyer who can stand up and say something when they see something wrong. But I was told to sit down today. I was yelled at and I've had a judge who is unhinged slamming a table. Let me be very clear. I don't tolerate that in my life. I'm not going to tolerate it here. And you know what? You shouldn't either. You shouldn't either. Yeah, my light just blew, so I'll just fix that. There we go. Um, I, again, you know, we're talking about them rewriting the story of the court, right? What goes on inside and what goes on outside, I've discovered are two completely different things in Trump world. And that's why he was attending. That's why he was attending so he could control the narrative after each day of the trial. He could come out and then deliver his version of what went on. And this is what she's doing here on the steps, you know, saying that, you know, she doesn't tolerate that kind of thing in her, in her personal life and she won't tolerate it here. Talking about a judge in a court of law. I mean, it's just, it's just mind blowing that she would have an ego that just completely ignores the judiciary, especially as a lawyer. As, as someone who spent, you know, every day in courtrooms all over the country for 28 years, 
you, you take what, what a judge decides to give you. I mean, right. if a judge wants to come at you and, you know, uh, there's not a whole lot you can do. It, it, when you join the Marine Corps and you go to Paris Island, you can't complain about the drill instructors yelling at you. Or and what she's describing was just one brief moment. She only she only made one objection during during Trump's examination. And and he basically at one point just told her, you know, sit down. I've had enough. Yeah. And, you know, this is what she's outraged about. It's really just a show. But, you know, and, and I know I get criticized for pointing this out. But look here, I'm just pointing out people because people refer to me as somewhat misogynist when i say this i'm just pointing out trump's misogyny when mm. he hires female lawyers he is not hiring them based on their litigation experience or their trial record okay and there's a difference between the men that he hires for attorneys and the women yeah when he hires male attorneys he's hiring these loud clowns you know these bombastic but, but they're not great looking guys. I mean, he doesn't really care what his male attorneys look like. But you'll notice, and we can go one right after the other, every female attorney he's hired has been very attractive. And so I'm simply pointing out that this is what Donald Trump is looking for, is, is he doesn't care what their trial record is or their record as a lawyer. He wants someone who looks good on television and looks good standing next to him. I, I, I mean, I hope it pays off <laughs> for him, you know. I have a feeling it won't. I'm still so conflicted, Ron. You know, I, 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 I'm so desperate for this guy and also for the judge just to be more strict, to put him in jail for a few nights, something. But it's almost like reality and the temperature of the nation right now are two completely different things. It's almost like all the propaganda, all the noise he's been making, all the lying it's now actually starting to pay off for him. Like it's count, it has counted for something because he's stuck to the script and maintains the same story over and over again. And as is widely written about, if you repeat it enough times, eventually people think that that's the truth. And, and I feel really sad that we're in this situation now where we're thinking, you know, he could still win the election. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I do talk to people about his his court cases yeah. and what I hear people again, I'm talking about people who start paying attention to the election a month out. You know, they're yeah. not paying attention now. They're not on social media. And, you know, what I hear from them is, oh, it just seems like these, uh, you know, prosecutions are all political. This is all gamesmanship. They don't really know the facts of the cases or the evidence or anything like that. Um, and that that's very concerning. And, and and again, that's that's why I, I'm so adamant that these trials have to be test uh, televised, because yeah. that's the only way these, these low information voters are ever going to find out the truth of what's really happening in these cases. But, but Fox won't carry it. You know, if, if, if it's not looking good for Trump, Fox will turn off the feed. I mean, again, the media but, is so control ads you could still run clips and ads and stuff yeah like that. i suppose yeah. interesting there, okay. there's ways to work around that kind of stuff but I, but i think fox cares more about ratings than they do about trump and that would be something like that would be they there's no way they could get away with not not carrying that because they would be getting killed by the other networks in right. the ratings and that's more important to them than anything yeah okay let's talk about uh nancy mace uh she's the south carolina representative is that right Tell, right. tell us the story behind her before I show the clip. You know, she's been a huge disappointment. 
you know, she was elected in 2020 in a district that was very swing district, you know, close to 50 50. And and it's she sent every signal in the world during her campaign and during her first six months or so in office that that's how what she was going to what she was going to be. And eventually what has happened just gradually over time after Trump endorsed a primary challenger against her is she's just become a complete MAGA Trump apologist and sycophant. And it really shocked everybody when she broke and became one of the people that voted out Kevin McCarthy as speaker. Nobody saw that coming. That was a complete shock, you know, that she joined um, Matt Gates. So, you know, here, uh, the Daily Show, I don't know if any of you, you know, saw this clip, but she goes on the Daily Show with Charlemagne the God, who was guest hosting. And what she said was what he asked her. Well, what she went on there to talk about is Joe Biden and how Joe Biden should be impeached. And she says, well, we just need to present the evidence and let the American people, because what I've seen is very troubling. And then he asked her, well, what about the evidence against Donald Trump? And then she said, well, I, I haven't seen any of that. I don't I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> which is just utterly preposterous yeah. that claim that, you know, there's all this evidence against Joe Biden, of which no one's seen really anything. Uh, directly tying Joe Biden anything illegal and yet claim at the same time that she's completely unaware of any of the cases any of the evidence against Trump it just goes to show that she has become a hundred percent Trump cultist and it's really sad to see it what it is is it's the death of the moderate Republicans you know I, I believe in three or four more years there won't be any you know they, they'll just it, it's either going to be all in on the crazy or they're going to be gone. They're going to be voted out or retired. Interesting. I mean, where where will they go? I mean, that's the thing because you that's know, it's 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 a two horse race in this country, unfortunately. And do you think that these smaller parties, the the no labels and the likes, do you think that they could pick up steam, or are they just going to disappear even before the election? Well, that that I don't know. I mean, there's two there's two. There's two questions here. The first is where where are they going to go? Yeah. Uh, you know, when you take people like Chris Christie and people like uh, Mitt Romney, you know, people like Liz Cheney. Yeah. These people, Adam Kinzinger, these people all still believe eventually that the Republican Party will come back around. Yeah. Come back to normal. Yeah. They, they, even Kinzinger the other day kept saying, you know, I'm still a Republican, That's proud right. Republican. He yeah. He's he's waiting for the cycle. I mean, it's, right. it's going to be at least a decade, if at all. Well, they don't believe that. You know, yeah. they they think that as soon as this election is over, Trump loses, then all of this stuff is going to go away and it's going to go back to normal. I don't believe that's going to happen. I don't mm -hmm. think you believe that's going to happen. I do not, yeah. So when that reality sets in next year after the election, let's assume that all plays out and they realize that the Republican Party is never coming back. You know, that's that's the big question. What are those establishment old school Republicans going to do? You know, are they going to go third party like a no labels or a tea party or something like that? Or are they going to become independents? Are they going to become Democrats? It, it's a huge uh, open question right now. Nobody's really sure. Uh, you know, to say, would you say that this election, November 2024, 12 months away is more important than 2020? Um, 
That's 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 really hard to say because 2020 was incre- it seemed so like everything. incredibly important. Yeah, you know? I mean, at the time it was um, like it was life or it was life or death for those who believed in in, in democracy. But yeah. it, it's changed again, hasn't it? Like the landscape is different. It's different. It so, seems more important now. I think that Trump is much more dangerous now than he would have been had he won in 2020. Because think about it. If he won in 2020, right. he was just going to continue being what he was. Yeah. Which is just now it's the retribution. Mess. Yeah. But now after January 6th, after impeachments, after all these prosecutions, he's much, much worse than he yeah. was in 2020. So when you talk about the importance of the election, I think 2020 was hugely important. But I think I I. I believe that the Republic could have survived a, a, a Trump term from 2020 to 2024. I'm not so sure it could survive 2024 to 2028 under Trump because of what he has planned. Right. And and it, there's so many things. Well, um, Project 2025 is you something we often talk about, you know, that this yeah. kind of Christian nationalist, um, Christo-fascist movement that is, is, it's all written down. I mean, they have a plan. And, and just think about this. Yeah. I mean, if Republicans also hold the House yeah. under Mike Johnson and flip the Senate, which is very possible, now there's nobody to stop Trump. Mm. You know, vote. That's all we can say. Just yeah, <laughs> it's got. It's going to come down to numbers, isn't it? You know, it, it, it's getting everybody out to vote. And I don't care who you vote for, but just vote because it's the apathy that often is what costs elections. Yep. I think uh, we saw the apathy in 2016. There were so many people who didn't vote and I yeah. did not vote in the presidential race. I voted in all the other races. And um, yeah, it's something that a lot of us are kicking ourselves about. You know, we were we were very apathetic. We felt like back in 16, neither candidate we could support. So there was a huge undervote. And uh, yeah, we can't we can't have that again with a Biden Trump ticket matchup. And I'm afraid we may have a bigger undervote. If those are the two nominees, I think we may have may have less people voting in that race than ever, ever before, uh, because I think there's this huge chunk of people who don't like either candidate. And that that's unfortunate. Um, he's Trump is lying about, you know, what he has to offer. I want to show a quick clip of him at a rally where he claims that he's going to pay off the national debt in no time at all. Here it is. So much money, we're going to pay off debt. The $35 trillion in debt, we're going to pay it off. We're going to get it done fast, too. Yeah, well, he managed to load $7 trillion on pretty fast as well in four years. I mean, this is so crazy, isn't it, that that he has no idea how to run the economy and yet, you know, and, and grew all that debt and yet just says this stuff. I mean, it's like the messaging is so empty. And yet, if you lie, people are going to believe you. Trump is really good at three things on the campaign trail. He's really good at three things. One, identifying problems in the country and in the world. Yeah. Two, criticizing and blaming other people for those problems. Three, promising to solve those problems okay he's very good at those three things and that's his playbook over and over here's a problem joe biden's responsible i'll solve it what he's not good at 
is explaining how (laughs) and right wing networks never make him when he does interviews, they never make him explain how, so he can just go on and say, I'll fix inflation. I'll pay off the debt. I'll end the war in Ukraine. But they never ask him exactly. How are you going to do those things? You know, I'll build the wall. I'll make Mexico pay for it. You know, We'll, we're going to bring gas to dollar a gallon. I mean, Trump will promise everybody everything. You know, um, he just told the auto workers, you know, we'll, we're going to we're going to build the most cars. You're going to be have more money than you know what to do with. So th- this is what Trump does. And so if it's very seductive. Yeah. But the Democrats don't person. do that. And this is the differential, yeah. isn't it? That for all of this marketing that, you know, and all of this sales, he's a salesman, he's a marketeer, he right? So all of that stuff, and the Democrats do not operate like that. They are not very good at selling themselves. And we were talking about the economy earlier and how it's doing pretty well, statistically anyway, certainly on paper. I don't hear them talking about it. I think that the branding of Bidenomics has, has pretty much failed. I think that was a bad idea personally. But I feel that because life is still tough because of the cost of living is now officially more than you can earn on an average wage. It does still feel tough for regular people. And and Trump will exploit that. He'll do nothing about it, but he will exploit that. And I also was thinking that, you know, strategically, maybe it's time to stop Trump bashing and to start elevating Joe Biden. And so anybody who is And I'm responsible for this too, as are you, and maybe we should all think about this. But maybe in the next 12 months, we drop Trump. Because every time we are putting his picture on the screen and we are exposing his insanity or his abuse, we are inadvertently promoting him. And we're not doing that enough for Joe Biden. And actually, maybe the secret to turning this around is to really talk about what's at stake and how important democracy is and having... Because that's the choice. It's not between Trump and Biden. It's between democracy and civility and 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 fascism. Pick one. Well, you know, I don't entirely agree with that because, I mean, I think that a lot of people, especially on the left, make the mistake of believing that they can control the narrative by what they choose to talk about. And that is no longer the case in America. Maybe that was the case a decade ago or 20 years ago, but the media landscape has changed. They don't control the narrative. Uh, Fox News has massive viewership. So does Newsmax. Joe Rogan's podcast has more people that watch many more people that watch it every day than watch MSNBC. So, I mean, there is a massive ecosystem. So if we don't point out all the gaffes and the stupidity and the corruption of Trump, then nobody will be doing that. So they will be hammering away at Biden every day and we will unilaterally disarm because we think that it's, uh, it's not a good idea to talk about Trump. I, I, I think that what you do is you don't cover his stuff live. You don't let him ramble, but you cover the insanity of Trump. And I think that that's important. One, one interesting way to look at this when you talk about the economy, for example, Trump has lately been praising Viktor Orban, that this is his model leader. When he talks yeah. about the leader in Europe that he admires the most, he points to Viktor Orban. Well, the counter to that that Democrats should make 
is this. You guys are all complaining about inflation, Biden inflation, buy, you know, price of Halloween candy is up 12%, 4th of July. They love to talk about inflation. Well, you know, as bad as inflation was in the US, it was lower than almost every European country, right. okay, comparable country. Especially Hungary, which is at what, and, 20, and Hungary, 20%? Over the last year, inflation has been 20%. Yeah. Right now, it's like 12.6, okay? Right. We're yeah. at like 3.6. So this is the model, you know, that Trump, Victor Orban's doing a great job. Well, oh, really? Well, he is, really? Do you know what inflation is in Hungary right now? You know, they're, they've been in a recession four consecutive quarters. So- how is Viktor Orban doing a great job again? Ex explain this. Um, so that's really what I think Democrats need to do is, is sort of go at him on the assertions that he makes, not to ignore them. Um, Melania got um, uh, a look in again the other day for the first time. It's like she's been in quarantine or something. She doesn't really want to have anything to do with her husband. She certainly hasn't supported him in court. But she did make an appearance on Halloween, ironically. Uh, I'll show the clip and then we can talk about it. I mean, that looks like an absolutely kicking party, doesn't it? He, he mopes around like a fat robot just doing this. And then she's the one who's like kneeling down and, and, and communicating with people in a kind of humane way. So weird. You, you wrote that, you know, he is like a contractual obligation that she has to show up certain times. Is that what happened here? Well, of course, you know, we're all speculating on what's in their third amended prenuptial agreement here. Right. And, and I base on that speculation based on what I see. If yeah. you notice, that's a clip I posted that came off someone's phone. Yeah. And and what I do is I follow again. We talked about this before. I follow many members of Marilago, many people that routinely go there and get these little clips off their phones when they post them on, typically on Instagram. Um, and so this is how I'm able to keep tabs on sort of Melania sightings. Okay, because what I can tell you, you know, I pretty much get watch video almost every day of Trump, either at Bedminster or Miralago, so I can kind of know what's going on at these places. And, and his events there are pretty well advertised. And what we saw was after he lost the election in 2020, Melania completely dropped out of sight. And there, were, there was a lot of word that she wasn't even living at Miralago. And I don't believe she does. She has a separate residence that she stays at a lot with Barron. And you never see Barron at all, ever. So, I mean, he's I, huge Trump, now, isn't he? You know, the, the last yeah, time we saw him six, was seven. like in the county. Yeah. Six, seven, really? Yeah, he's six, seven. Whoa, because, I mean, he was tall when he was like... How old was he? He was probably, what, 15, 14, 15 when yeah, we saw him last time? He's a giant. That's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, you never see Melania or Barron. I see Trump every day walking yeah. around in Mar-a-Lago, but I've never seen, Mel I've never seen Melania. So, so we went through this long stretch. And then when it came time for Trump to announce that he was going to run for president, all of a sudden she resurfaces, you know, and she pops back up and, and, and does a five-minute Fox interview where she says, oh, yes. I'm I'm happy that he's running. I'm fully supporting him. Then we learned out that the prenuptial agreement was renegotiated right around that same time. Right. So what I believe at the time is that what I believe now and what I believe then is like 
She absolutely does not want him to run for president because she's tired of being beat up. She just wants to be a private person. She doesn't want to go back to D.C. She doesn't want to live in the White House and go through all of the abuse and everything that that she gets. Yeah. And and so I think she just wants nothing to do with it. But I think what Trump, Trump has basically bribed her into paying her some money to to uh, go along with this. And I think what that includes is very, very limited public appearances because the only time we've seen her so far, I think, was at Christmas, Easter, and now Halloween. So it appears to be holidays. She has not appeared at any campaign events, nothing on the road, no rallies, no golf tournaments, nothing. The only thing that we've seen her at with Trump is holidays. And even then, it's very, very brief. She'll show up, she'll have a dinner, and she'll leave. She'll show up, dance with him, and leave. You see here Halloween. She she w- w- sort of walks in with him, you know, sits down. They're not even he's doing his thing. She's doing her thing. And she left shortly thereafter. So, yeah, this is not not a marriage in the classic sense of the word. This is a transactional arrangement at this point. And the first lady traditionally or even a, a future first lady is very much part of the campaign trail in America. Right. It's like it's people want to see a, a, either, you know, in the case because it's so damn male dominated a married man who's able to show that kind of perfect family life and you know it's not going to happen this time around she's not going to be convinced is she no and and ron desantis is trying to make traction over this issue you know he he he's talked about it a lot he has his his wife with him at every event you know he's trying to contrast this with donald trump saying look i'm a family man i'm here with my you know wife and kids now we can talk about whether you know it's it's really a good idea to be dragging your kids around the country every yeah. day and putting them in front of little kids in front of strangers up on stages every day about what that's going to do to them in later years because i don't think they're doing those kids any favors by sticking them in the public spotlight the way that they are i think they're using them as political props but but he's trying to at least draw the contrast between himself and trump by saying look I'm a family guy and Trump really isn't. I have young kids, as you know, and my daughter said, I was driving her to school the other day and she said to me, she, we, we were listening to Five Minute News, my morning news show, because obviously I like to listen to myself a lot. <laughs> and it was, play, it was playing in the car. And um, it was a story about Trump. And she said, when it stopped, she said, you know, Donald Trump, she's, she's seven, right, my daughter? She goes, Donald Trump, he drains swamps. And it's so sad that he doesn't care about the creatures. <laughs> well, I think he wants to execute the creatures. <laughs> right. But, but the, the, the serious point to this story is that even the drain the swamp messaging yeah, has somehow penetrated my daughter's mind. Yeah. And even though she's translated it to mean something else, this is the proof of how powerful his messaging is. I was just, I was stunned. Anyway, listen, we have to take a quick pause for our sponsor, but we're going to come back and talk more. I want to talk about Ivanka next here on Uncovered. 
Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle Maid's bedsheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Maid uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding, so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver-infused fabrics inspired by NASA, Miracle Maid sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long. So you get a better night's sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresh three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than sheets used by some five-star hotels. Miracle sheets are the perfect gift for your spouse, friends or family. Who doesn't want better sleep and luxurious feeling bedsheets and since these come with three free towels you get two gifts in one just in time for the holidays stop sleeping on bacteria bacteria can clog your pores causing breakouts and acne sleep clean with miracle go to trymiracle.com uncovered to try it today or gift it to someone special this holiday season and we've got a special deal for our listeners save over 40 percent and if you use our promo code uncovered at checkout you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20 percent miracle is so confident in their product it's backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee so if you aren't 100 percent satisfied you'll get a full refund Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash uncovered and use the code uncovered to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. That's trymiracle.com slash uncovered to treat yourself, a friend or a loved one this holiday season. We've both got the sheets, by the way, and we love the sheets, don't we, Ron? We love the sheets. You know, honestly, seriously... I love those sheets. I know. Those sheets are really good. It's, it's a miracle. Yeah. Um, listen, let's talk about Ivanka quickly, because today we're recording this yesterday, but today she is testifying. What was her excuse for trying to get out of, uh, of testifying? <laughs> you know, it was pretty funny because, you know, I, I've been, I follow Ivanka on Instagram, you know, and, and multiple social media platforms. And where she posts most is Instagram because she loves to post her travel photos. Right. And so for the last, whatever, two years, two and a half years since they left the white house, I've been watching her and Jared travel the world. And I always wonder like, what, what exactly are they doing? Like, when does Jared work? Because they've, they've been world travelers. They've been middle East. They've been Africa. He made made $2 billion from, from the Saudis. He doesn't need to work. I mean, they're living the life and sometimes the kids are with them, sometimes are not. And so, you know, her excuse was, well, I can't uh, testify because that's a school week, you know, and I'm busy with the kids. So, number one, you know, I've read reports that they have like six nannies. So I went back through her Instagram account and I started looking at the dates of some of these photos when she was in the, with the pyramids in Egypt or, you know, in Qatar at the world cup, or they're in, you know, Athens at the Acropolis. They were all school weeks. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, riding camels in the desert. Right. They were every single one of them was a, I checked the Florida school schedule in, in they were all school weeks. Incredible. Yeah. So, you know, obviously she has time to travel the world 
one when the kids are in school, but is unable to show up for, you know, a morning of testimony. Uh, talking of testimony, Mark Meadows, of course, has cut this plea deal and uh, is now you know, dishing the dirt on Donald Trump. But one person or one organization that didn't like it was his publisher. Tell us about this. Yeah, that's pretty funny. You know, they, they filed this lawsuit um, here in Sarasota, where I live, uh, in Florida, um, and um, they want all their money back. Uh, they, they paid him a $600,000 advance, I believe is what it was. So they're asking for that back. Plus, they're asking for a million dollars in reputational damages because they said they've suffered so much damage from him uh, that it's hurt their company. Here's their their big beef is the fact that he took back. Their big beef isn't the fact that, you know, everything in the book is lies. And and what he what he put in his book is, you know, one lie after another saying that the election was stolen and he believes the election was stolen. And that's the theme, you know, a big theme in the book. So they had no issue with that. They put that out there and they were selling those books. What they had an issue with is when it came out that he was cooperating in the grand jury. Right. Now, none of the people who he, they're trying to sell books to want to buy his book because they all hate him now. And not only that, what he was reported to have said in his testimony is completely the opposite of what's in the book. So it shows that not only did he did the, these reports piss off all their customers who they're trying to sell books to, number two, he he contradicted what's in the book. So they they are like, this is a disaster. We want our book. We're, our sales have stopped. We want our advance back. Um, and we're suing you for a million dollars for the. So, you know, Mark Meadows is not somebody that has a lot of cash. Right. And he's shelling out big money to his lawyers. And um, so I yeah, this is this is going to hurt him. And, you know, it's an interesting case. It, it's a sign to a judge that I know very well. I've known for a long time. And um, uh, I don't think he's going to be doing them any favors. It's so interesting, isn't it, how the lying is so much a part of the culture of the, the MAGA Republican, right? But I, I interviewed Anthony Atamanik on the weekend show, Just Gone. Uh, he played Donald Trump in the President show on Comedy Central and totally like embodied him. And we were talking in depth about his character. And he was saying that he doesn't know, Trump doesn't know that he lies. Like he thinks he's a good, a good person. Right. He like genuinely thinks that he's a good person and he did win the election. And and it's a very different perspective. So when it comes to someone like Mark Meadows, did he know that he was lying? I mean, I appreciate that this is a, a, a you know, more of a court argument, but did he appreciate that he was lying? Did he know? Did he just go with it because he's in the cult? How much of it was the cult mentality that meant that he didn't step outside of this bubble versus being a scheming, conniving individual, knowing full well that they'd lost the election and just playing along because that's, you know, the allegiance to Trump. I'll say, first of all, I'll say about Trump, I believe that when he first generates the lies, he knows that they're lies. Okay, right. so the first day, I'll say, he's very well aware that what he's saying is bullshit. He's just made it up. Yeah. But then after he says it a few times, I believe that he starts to believe his own bullshit. Right. So it's a pathological syndrome. And I, and I think that he convinces himself and, and two weeks out, you know, two weeks into the lie, he's completely convinced himself that, that it's true. Yeah. So it's this, it, it's, um, 
it's what uh, the bi- Steve Jobs' biographer, Walter Isaacson, called mm-hmm. the, the reality distortion field. You know, that Jobs would do that. He would create this alternative yeah. reality that he would live in. And, and I think Trump does that to like a millionth degree. So with Meadows, though, no, I don't believe that that's the case with Meadows at all. I think Meadows is a, is a huckster, a charlatan. He absolutely knows what he's saying is bullshit. But he's playing to an audience. You know, he's he understands that MAGA, you know, the, the MAGA base was his ticket and that's who he's going to sell these books to. So he needed to tell them what they wanted to hear. But from everything that we know about what he said behind the scenes and what he's testified to, he knew all along it was a lie. So the whole thing, so much of this, this kind of performative aspect of being a Republican lawmaker or working in the White House or any of this is it's performative. And it's it's the grift. It's it's part of the process of, of keeping the lie going, making money, you know, rinsing publishers, because taking a 600 grand advance off of a publisher, knowing that you've delivered a pack of lies, you've got to be a certain kind of person to you know, just morally be able to handle that. Because the other thing you have to do is look at the other side of the coin is what happens when you tell the truth? What happens when you just say, okay, I can't do this anymore and I'm going to break away from the, from the lie. Yeah. Look at what happened to Cassie Hutchison. You know, what happens is you get brutalized, you get attacked, you get smeared. They come after you and they come after you hard. Look what happened to Chris Christie. Chris Christie was Trump's pal. He prepped him for the debates. He, you know, he was one of the, one of Trump's inner circle guys. The second he decided he didn't want to play the game anymore, Look what they've done to him. They turn on him. Look what they did to Ron DeSantis. Yeah. You know, they're attacking Ron DeSantis every single day, calling him every name in the book, smearing him because he's not on the team anymore. And so that's the alternative for these guys. Either they continue to play the game and do the lies and get the praise and sell the books like Ted Cruz and others, or you tell the truth and you become a hated villain. And the left's not going to embrace you. So you really end up having no friends at that point. And let's not forget the title of Cassidy Hutchinson's book. Enough. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Enough. It's a good title. It's a good title. But I mean, it really symbolizes what you're just describing is that you're living in this in this world of lies where, you know, because it's uncomfortable, right? People who who are. Who, who lie all the time, they're, they're always looking over their shoulder. You know, you, you can't relax. It's not a very nice state of mind. You know, it's probably going to shorten your life expectancy. Yeah. I mean, Kim Reynolds, the Iowa governor, did it. You know, we'll talk about that. Yeah. I mean, when when you break away, the puni- they, they will punish you. They will come after you. And that's that's really never happened before in, pol- in American politics. Right. You know, in the past, if you wanted to support Bob Dole instead of George Bush or, you know, whatever, who can- nobody, <laughs> you know, if you wanted to support McCain over Romney, you know, people didn't come after you personally. But this but is now the cult- you're considered a traitor. This is this is the cult tactic, isn't it? And I yeah. don't want to name any cult names here, but there are cults that are very well known for the retribution aspect. Yeah. And that if you leave the cult, you are harassed and that you are chased and they show up at your house and they put pressure on you and they lie about yeah. you or put propaganda out about you and, and, and they and make your life a misery. 
And, and yeah. that really is a, an example of how Trumpism and the, the MAGA cult has really taken on the characteristics of these, you know, historic cults that we watch documentaries about and read about all the time. Look what they did to Mike Pence. Yeah. You know, look what they did to Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia. You know, uh, yeah, the second you step out of line with the cult leader, you're a villain and they're coming after you. Yeah. I really want to talk about Mike Johnson because I couldn't remember his name last week. It just was he, he was just too boring. And, and But now, the more that I'm seeing of him, the more fascinating he becomes. We're talking, of course, about the new House Speaker, who is a, a Christian nationalist, has put the Bible and he's an extremist form of Christianity at the very center of his thinking. The clip that we were talking about the other week was when he basically said, if anyone wants to know anything about me, just pick up a copy of the Bible and then you'll know about me. This new clip talks about how he's using the the chapel in Congress for his daily prayer. Uh, we, we've already used it quite a bit and we'll be using it every morning. So all, every morning? Yes. Okay, so... You know, my team back in the White House, the last thing we did before we went to the podium was have a prayer. Yeah. So literally end in prayer and then yeah. go speak to the press. So each morning, do you have, will you have a ritual? Where this, you... will be, this will be my, my discipline to come in here and, um, and uh, seek the Lord's guidance for what we do each day. Even Kaylee McEnany was shocked when he said, we're going to come in here every morning. And, and she's like, every morning? <laughs> I mean... She identifies as Christian as well. What's the deal with this guy? Because, you know, there's a lot of shady action going on regarding bank accounts and stuff. Just just react to that clip, first of all. Well, you know, at Midas, we've had one guy who's pretty much made it his full-time job to dig up old Mike Johnson clips. And just every new one that comes out is just yeah. shocking. Um, you know, he, he goes by Patriot Takes on... Um, on Twitter and um, the moniker JD Wolf in, in his articles and and he's unearthed you know dozens of old yeah. Mike Johnson clips and and yeah it's it's really it's really pretty pretty scary stuff I mean this guy is way way out there as far as uh, his view his as far as how much his literal interpretation of the Bible guides his public life and his views and and again none of us have a problem with the fact that maybe. I wouldn't have a problem if he said, you know, I want to go in this. I'm going to go in this chapel and pray every day. Well, OK, that's sure. that's that's fine. That's your business. But but what he said was to seek the Lord's guidance on what we're going to do each day. Yeah. Again, I, I don't want want foreign and domestic policy decided by the Bible, uh, even though I'm a Christian. That's not really what I'm looking for. And I don't think that that's what jesus envisioned in any way is for you know his teachings to be used to in a political context yeah. and so yeah i i just think that um that we're going down a really a really tough path here with this guy that could lead us in some very crazy places and and you know lately when he's been confronted about a lot of these old clips he he keeps saying oh i don't really remember that that was a long time ago so he's even being dishonest he, he remembers what he said about these things some of the stuff that you've unearthed, the the app that that checks your phone use, that you pick someone who's going to share the app with you, and they can see whether you've looked at pornography and stuff. I mean, that was one thing that you know 
we wrote about. And then the other thing was this interview with his wife, which I found completely fascinating, where she spoke in this kind of subservient baby voice, which yes. is very well known within these kind of, you know, extremist, like Christo-fascist relationships where it is necessary for the woman to show subservience and and consequently talk in this, like, baby style. I mean, I, I don't want to talk out of turn here because I'm not an expert on it, but a few people wrote to me about this and said, you know, you need to understand what it is that's going on here, is that, you know, he is the dominant character and she has to be the, the, the uh, subservient character. Do you know much about that? Yeah, it really took me aback when I saw her the first time that they did like a joint, you know, where I saw a joint interview of them together. Yeah. And the way she spoke. And um, I was a little bit taken aback at the time. I mean, she she really reminds you of like a politician's wife in the 1950s, you know, or 1960s where, you know, you're very deferential. Yeah, you're you're soft spoken. You're, you know you're deferring to your husband and what he wants and uh, what he thinks. And yeah, it's uh, I mean, we don't know a whole lot about her and I'm not trying to beat up on her or anything of that nature whatsoever. It's just, it's it, the whole thing is very odd. The fact that they've their combined income for at least 10 years has been over $200,000 a year and they have no uh, assets at all. I mean, that's a or, or bank account usual by, by the looks. Of yeah. It. And, and so no retirement or anything. And so, uh, you know, I've heard the different explanations. You know, the Republicans are trying to spin this like, you know, oh, the liberal elites are beating up on him because he's a working class guy. Well, he's not really. I mean, he, he's a lawyer, a politician who's he makes he's made over two hundred thousand dollars a year for quite a while now. So this isn't like some construction worker, yeah. you know, um, he's, he's made plenty of cash. He's the speaker of the house of representatives. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's, that's one, that's one, you know, criticism that you hear. But the other thing is like, how is it possible, you know, that you just have nothing like, where did the money go? And I know he's talked about, you know, we've got kids in school and this and that, but you know, it would be good for him to come out with some explanation since he's just basically left his financial forms blank. It's so interesting that there are so many gaps in his story. And yeah. I think that as with all of these things, you know, the power of the media, social media, and you know, kind of journalistic interest in, in, in filling in those gaps, that as time goes on, we'll probably get to find out a whole lot more about him. But it is it's definitely weird. That's all I would say. It's, it's, it's definitely weird. And it does open a window on these kind of, you know, extremist relationships, these kind of Christo, um, Christian nationalist relationships. Let, let me tell you one thing, build on that, because, you know, as somebody who's been involved in politics for decades, my first campaign was 88, worked on a lot of campaigns yeah. and worked on efforts to recruit people to run for different things, that when you do that, there there is a, a level of vetting that takes place. In other words, like somebody running for county judge or city commission does not get vetted at the same level as when you're running for governor. And, and each step that you take up that political ladder, there's more scrutiny. And there are many people out there who would like to run for Congress, but they they won't. And the reason why they won't is because they know there's stuff in their background that would come out and is going to is going to embarrass them and torpedo their campaign. And every step of the of the way, there's there's reasons why people won't run for higher office because the vetting 
is stricter and there's things in their background that they know about that they don't want to come out into the open. And I think that what's happened here is this guy has been thrust forward mm-hmm. who's nobody knows anything about because <laughs> right. of all the fiasco yeah. who has not been vetted at all. He had no opponent when he ran for for election. This guy has not faced any scrutiny whatsoever from the press. And so this is where we're at. We're sort of like playing catch up with this guy. And and yet there was a unanimous vote for him from the Republicans. Uh, if that's not an endorsement, I don't know what is. But as you say, he was a he was a backbencher. He, he didn't really have a, a, a main role in anything right he wasn't people didn't even know his name took me long enough to learn it polite guy who everybody liked hey let's make him the speaker (laughs) yeah it's it's a bit like trump let's make trump the president you know it's it's like let's just grab people from the weirdest places reality television doesn't matter you can do the job um okay we've got to we don't have very long left i want to talk about um uh kim reynolds endorsing uh uh ron DeSantis. Yeah. we talked a little bit about that earlier but there's this kind of interesting uh clip that popped up let me play this here is it's not just a symbolic endorsement and it's not just lip service she told me in the interview that she's planning to campaign with him but the entire weight of uh her operation behind him so we're going to see her actually hitting the trail so what has changed here? So when you decide about the impact that something is going to have uh, on Trump or Team Trump, you you view you look don't look at the signal. You look at the noise, because right. in other words, what they're saying, don't pay attention to what they're saying. Pay attention to how loud and how often they're saying it. So with respect to this Kim Reynolds endorsement. I think that this is significant. And I and I think that this is one thing that Ron DeSantis has been banking on for months is because he knew that he had this ace up his sleeve. He knew that Kim Reynolds was going to endorse her. She is popular, very popular among Iowa Republicans, and it's going to make a difference. And what she just said and what they just said in that clip right there is that Kim Reynolds is not just going to endorse him and, you know, like Sarah Huckabee Sanders and endorse Trump and then just that's that's it. There's just an endorsement and there's nothing else behind it. What she's going to do is she's going to employ all of her political machinery, all of her grassroots stuff and put it to work for Ron DeSantis. And and I do think that that's going to make a difference. And how you can tell is team. What is team Trump doing? Well, they're smearing Kim Reynolds. Oh, she's not really that popular. She's not really that influential. You know, her, her it doesn't really mean that much. But if but the, the amount of which they're attacking this and going after her shows that they're concerned. It, it, it proves that they're worried about this. And they also know that their boss hasn't spent any time in Iowa. I mean, he goes in, he does a rally and he leaves an hour later, you know, and and where Trump is also blo- is the media coverage in local Iowa TV stations and newspapers, you know, because Trump has made the situation worse. Not only does he have to weather the endorsement, but by him attacking Kim Reynolds, those attacks are being put in Iowa newspapers and local Iowans are seeing Trump is attacking our governor that we like and insulting her. And I just don't think that's going to play well. I absolutely believe that DeSantis does have a chance. But if, if you know, Nikki Haley's hurting him, let's face it, if Nikki Haley wasn't in this race, he would have a much better chance. But she's siphoning votes away from him 
and and I do think that she's going to do surprisingly well. You know, I, yeah. I think that the the boys are all there's so much infighting amongst the boys, and as the solitary female candidate, I think that she could kind of cut through that. Interestingly, um, well, the two of them, this debate that's coming up, I think it's Thursday. They're going to go at it. Yeah. I mean, this this whole debate is going to be the main event in this debate is going to be DeSantis versus Haley. They're going to really go at each other. He's going to need those lifts in his boots, isn't he? To because uh, she's she's quite tall, and um, this is a whole kind of controversy that's building. You've been posting about it; it's rather hilarious. There's now images of the cowboy boot and what the foot looks like when it's inside, when it's got the lift, and which is why he did that weird walk on stage recently. I mean, <laughs> this goes back to what you were saying about the the visual you know the need to kind of be that masculine you know testosterone fueled look of being tall and and everything that goes with that it's so sad isn't it that because he's obviously wearing lifts isn't he well you know in the in republican politics especially republican primary when you become the butt of a joke and people start to make fun of something about you whatever the attribute is you're in you're in big trouble. It's it's you know it's a reason why Ted Cruz can't become president. Right. You know, uh, he's just the butt of a joke. And and so this is what Trump also tries to do with his insults is to make them a joke. Uh, I mean, you could go back to Sarah Palin. You know, Sarah Palin became the butt of with her. You know, I can see uh, what a Russia from Alaska. That's how how I know that's my foreign policy. I mean, you know, you, when you say stuff like that, you know, you become a, become a joke and. So on this boot, are you? Are, were you going to play the clip? Is that where you're? I was, do? but I, I I don't actually have it. I'm not that's sure. That's okay. Why. That's okay. But yeah. the reason why that that's important is because a lot of us on social media, right and left, have been making fun of his heels. But what finally made it go mainstream is that somebody finally asked him about it in an interview, and yeah. that that now brings it out into the mainstream instead of just us troublemakers and rabble rousers on social media. <laughs> and again, and so it was he, deny, 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 right? And he's he not, was he's like, no, no, on. these are off the rack boots. I'm not wearing lifts and all, and all that. So, yeah. but yeah, showing how uncomfortable he was and defensive he was, again, just, just makes it worse. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting character, isn't he? Okay, we have to finish with uh, Tommy Tuberville because uh, he, it really occurs to me, we've talked about this guy being dumb before, but now it's getting to the point, because of course he's still continuing to block these military appointments, that, that his argument now has got to the point where he's like, well, I'm not a lawyer, I'm a football coach. He's actually admitting his own stupidity. Just talk yep. us through this. Yeah, I mean, you know, he blames everything. I mean, he reverts everything back to his time as a football coach. Yeah. So as we talked about last week, you know, the Marine Commandant had a heart attack. He's been doing two jobs, uh, you know, sleeping four hours a day. So after our show last week, Tuberville was asked about this by Manu Raju. And, and this is what he said. You know, he's like, hey, you know. Give me a break. I, you know, 18, 20 hours a work, week, I, I work that as a football coach. Well, you know, there's a big difference. This, again, shows how he absolutely doesn't have any understanding of the military. I mean, yeah. I, I served in the Marines. I can tell you, like, some of the most exhausted days of my life was, you know, as a Marine. And, and that's when I was 18, 19 years old. Yeah. So I can't imagine being 
59 and having to do two it, he first of all it's not just any job he's running the marine corps this is the guy who's the commandant so he's doing his job and the so that means he's in charge of every marine that's all over the world everything that they're doing all the embassy guards of every embassy in the in the whole world are marines who are in harm's way he's in charge of the boot camps the training centers the academies the recruitment this guy has his fingers in a million different things. Yeah, and you don't and want him deputy, tired. He doesn't have any help. His deputy's no. not there because of Tuberville. And so for him to equate that with coaching a football team, yeah. I'm not going to, you know, I'm sure coaching a football team is, is a lot of work and a lot of hours and all of that. But most of that work is, you know, sitting and watching film. Or, you know, talking to a kid in his living room, trying yeah. to get him to come to your school. Yeah. It's not life and death like the commandant of the Marine Corps. Again, I mean, a lot of this goes back to vetting candidates for political office, doesn't it? And, and, and you know, who, are, who the problem we have now is who would want to be in politics? You know, it, you, you, so you tend to get these bottom feeders that come through. You know, they're there for ego or they're there for the the riches i don't know what what comes with it but it's just a very odd thing to me that who a lot of these characters are that are kind of coming up through the the republican party you know one thing that really illustrates this let's just take two of those characters yeah. herschel walker and dr odd okay <laughs> so good, two good ones there what have they done since they lost in other words how engaged are they in public politics in, yeah. in policy policy debates they're not engaged. They're gone. No. The second they lose, they just disappear. They I don't, saw Dr. Oz on TV yesterday, though. In public policy, yeah. they're not interested in the country. They're interested in themselves. And when they can't get the job, they just disappear. And because they're not activists. Someone like Joe Biden, who is a lifelong public servant, right. gets criticized. And, and yet, you know, his entire political life is on public record, right? He's changed his mind about a few things he's made mistakes he's backed the wrong horse occasionally but ultimately he is a a public servant who cares passionately about people and the direction of the country and as you say i saw dr oz selling diet pills on a right. commercial yesterday and i was there like back to his old tricks there he, he claimed is. during the campaign that he was going to help heroin addicts in philadelphia you know even after the election was over he hasn't set foot in Philadelphia yeah. since the election was over. It's all it's all a charade. There it is. I mean, <laughs> maybe we should change the name of the show to It's All a Charade. Um, okay, Ron, thank you again for the chat. Nice to uh, always have this conversation on a Wednesday here on the Midas Media Network. You can find Ron Filipkowski on Twitter at Ron Filipkowski. You can also find his writings and work at MidasTouch.com, which is, of course, the new improved website where any story that breaks, you'll find it there pretty much immediately, uh, hence why there's so much steam coming out of your word processor. I haven't said word processor for years. I don't know where that came from. Uh, thanks a lot, Ron. All the best to you. I'll catch you next week. See ya.